Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. Uh, good to open the Bible with you. Uh, if you have your Bible, keep it open. I, I will have the passages up on screen, but there's something wonderful about having the Word of God open in front of you. You can check whether I'm saying what is right and good. Um, all right. Does anybody know the significance of this picture? Uh, this, apparently, according to a very reliable source, which is Wikipedia, this is the very first ever selfie, at least that we know about. Uh, Robert Cornelius, 1839, he um, uh, yeah, says it's one of the very first pictures ever taken of a person, um, and apparently he took it of himself. Um, I was trying to find out who invented the selfie, um, because the last couple of years everybody seems to be talking about selfies. I used to have to take them in the mirror. Look at that. She's there with that. Can you see the little camera down around her hip? One of those very old box cameras. Uh, that's from 1900. I'm um, pretty hard to hold that one up and do the, do the selfie on that one. Uh, not so hard for Buzz Aldrin, who took one in 1966 from space. Isn't that fantastic? The first selfie in space. And then, of course, Apple put a camera in the front of every iPhone. And uh, that was 2013. And the rest is history. Um, and in 2013, the word selfie was added to the Oxford Dictionary, and that was the word of the year as well. And it uh, seems like everybody's taking selfies now. Um, they're a bit of fun, and we've always taken selfies, or not selfies, photos, to document our holidays and uh, the beautiful places we go to and family events. But the danger with the selfie phenomenon, I'm just going to pop this one up, is, um, is that the photos can actually become all about us. And uh, they can become about how many likes we get on social media and projecting a kind of pretend image of who we might be or who we might like people to think that we are. And um, weirdly enough, there are young people now who get their entire career paid for by taking photographs and, and people like them. And I don't really understand how that works. And many of you also are with me on that. But the difficulty is that actually can lead to us thinking that we are super important. Our sort of self-importance in our self-worth is around what other people think about us. And as Christians, we can actually get pulled into the same way of thinking. We can get dragged along with the tide of um, the world, the flow of the world, this kind of pulled into the tide of self-importance and uh, sucked into the culture of beauty and wealth and status and, and travel and leisure and all of the things that we like to portray on social media. And it can really lead to narcissism, that is that, I'm the most important person in the world and everybody should look up to me. But our passage in Romans 12 reminds us that actually our lives are not to be devoted to our own self-importance. Instead, they're to be devoted to God. And Paul goes in in verse 3 to 8 to explain exactly how, um, what a transformed life of devotion looks like um, in our lives individually and as a church. So why don't we pray that God would reveal that to us now as we open his scripture and look at it in detail. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to hear you clearly today. Transform us to love one another and to serve one another with the gifts you've given us, just as Jesus served us. And we pray in his name. Amen. Uh, so what does the transformed life look like? Well, the life that's been transformed by the gospel and the life that's been changed by God's mercy, first of all, leads to transformed thinking. Um, look at verse 3 with me. The Apostle Paul says, uh, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of, your, one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. 
in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Um, So Paul says if we've understood God's mercy, if we've understood the gospel, then the way that we think about ourselves should be changed and it should be shaped by the gospel too. Um, And that is that we won't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And of course, that's the way that the world thinks about itself, more highly than it ought. Um, There's a statistic that says 90% of men believe that they are better than average looking. Men are like, yes, that's right. Um, It's a joke, of course. It's a mathematical joke. Um, Many of us have grown up, though, in a generation where actually we do believe that we're very important. We've been told we can do whatever we want, that we should be able to achieve uh, all kinds of things. We feel entitled to job success and financial success and entitled to at least the same lifestyle our parents had or maybe even a bit better. And We're the most educated generation in history with the most access to technology and science in all of humankind, in the history of humankind. We we live longer than any of our forebears, um, except for Methuselah, I think. Um, he, was, he was pretty long-lived. But in general, we live longer than everybody. And actually, our overinflated opinion about human, uh, our human kind of wisdom is nothing new. Um, when you go to Romans 1, God actually tells us that human wisdom leads to foolishness, and particularly the foolishness of pushing God away. Um, so in Romans 1, it says, Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God, of the immortal God, for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. So humanity, before it knew the mercy of God, actually we thought we were wise and we pushed God away. But now in the gospel, God gives his people new minds to think. And this is the transformed mind that we started to think about last week, um, where actually we can by the gift of the Holy Spirit, see God as glorious and see God as immortal. Um, He's given us minds that recognize that we're not the creator. We're not the most important thing in the universe. We're actually the creator's creatures. We're not immortal like him. We're not as glorious as him. Uh, We have minds now that understand that without God, we wouldn't even exist. In the gospel, we get minds that acknowledge that God gives us everything we have. Everything we have is a gift of God. And now in the gospel, we have minds that know that we should stand under the judgment of God for what we've done, for the way that we thought ourselves wiser than God. And in the gospel too, we're reminded and given a new mind to comprehend the mercy of God, to send Jesus so that our sin could be forgiven. So if you think of yourself like that, coming back to Romans 12, 3, then it means you won't think of yourself more highly than you ought. In fact, it'll bring us back to a much more sober judgment of ourselves as a sinner saved by grace. Uh, There's a joke that goes like this. A man died and he's standing at the pearly gates and he meets St. Peter and um, St. Peter says, here's how it works. To get into heaven, you need to score 100 points. And if you can, then you'll get in. And so the man says, great, well, uh, I've been married to the same woman for more than 50 years. I've never cheated, not even in my mind or heart. And St. Peter says, wonderful, that's worth three points. (laughs) He says, okay. So I, so I went to church. I was a regular church goer. I, I gave my tithe and my offering. I, I served. I went to Bible study. St. Peter says, that is fantastic. That is worth two points. He says, okay, well, I, I served as a missionary. I, I, I sent money to start a school for underprivileged children. And St. Peter says, wonderful, wonderful. That's worth at least two points, I think. This says, man says, this is ridiculous. At this rate, there's no way I'll get into heaven except by the grace of God. And isn't that it? We don't get into 
heaven because of our good works. It's only by the grace of God that we can ever get into heaven. And, and that's why we needn't be vain about our faith. Uh, Romans 12.3 actually tells us that even the faith we have is a gift of God. Same as he says in Ephesians 2. Um, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. So when we have transformed thinking, we actually realize that we are just like that hymn says, when it says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to your cross I cling. That gospel message changes what we think about ourselves. And it, it's got to start there. We need to keep preaching that gospel to ourselves. We are not the most important person in the room. Jesus is. And we're here to follow Jesus and live in his footsteps. God transforms our mind and the transformed life begins with transforming our mind and our thinking. And the second thing that happens is when we start to think like that as individuals, it will change how we think as a church. Um, so the second idea is about transformed church. Um, now this is about a change that takes place not just in ourselves but in the group. Uh, does anybody here keep chickens? Oh, at the 8 o'clock service, almost everybody had chickens. I felt, I felt like a fool. Um, this is good. And back when we were in Sydney, probably in the last 10 or 15 years, people started to keep chickens at home. Um, these little suburban houses with chicken runs in the backyard. Um, I'm excited. We have a chicken run next door at my house in the rectory. It has no chickens in there now, but soon I'm hoping to get chickens. Um, I'm not feeling great about it because I don't really like birds. I don't like their scratchy feet and their feathery wings and things. But that's okay. What could go wrong? Now, um, I digress. What's the first thing that chickens do when they all get together in a group? Um, they establish the pecking order, don't they? You have a kind of a boss chicken and all the other chickens have to learn their place in the pecking order. So our friends, they had um, their chickens who they'd had for a while and then there were two chickens loose in the street and they were worried that foxes would eat them and so they took the two chickens and put them in the coop with their chickens. They put a note on the front door that said, you know, found two chickens. Anyway, what happens to the two new chickens is that the boss chicken pecked them and pecked them and made them go in the corner and they had to jump up on a perch and it took about two weeks before they were allowed to kind of join the rest of the chickens. They established the pecking order. And the boss needed to show who was the boss. And it can feel a little bit like that in church sometimes, can't it? You know, there are people who go up front. And there's the people who do morning tea. And the people whose names I say in the sermon. And there's the people who've been here since, you know, Robertson was invented in 1422. Or whenever Rob Robertson's not that old, is it? It probably is that old, it just wasn't called that back then. People who've been here for generations and generations, and sometimes you, you can arrive at a church, like I arrived last week, and you can feel like there's a pecking order. And if most of us are honest, we probably feel like we're not very high up on the pecking order. What does Paul say about the church, which is transformed by God's mercy? He says we're not like a brood of hens. We're actually different. We're one body. Um, so come to uh, Romans 12.4 with me. Um, this little body image is kind of funny, like the cogs all working together. In Romans 12.4, he says, Just as each of us has one body with many members, that is like body parts, and these members don't all have the same function, that is all the body parts don't have the same function. Um, he says, So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member or each part of the body belongs to all of the others. 
then he says we have different gifts according to the grace given to us. So Paul says rather than think of church as a bunch of individuals meeting together, he says we actually should think of ourselves as one body, a different body parts who all make up one body. Um, So some of us are heads and some of us are hearts and some of us are hands and some of us are feet. Um, To be more specific, some of us are voices that sing. Some of us are lips that pray. Some of us are hands that cook or feet that rush in to help. Some of us are arms that bring hugs in times of trouble or tongues that pray. Some are minds that explain the riches of God's grace. Some of us are ears who listen when others are burdened. Some of us are strong backs who lift chairs and others are humble hands who clean bathrooms when nobody sees. Emptying trash cans and sweeping up autumn leaves in the middle of the week. Um, Do you know that God sees all of those things that you do when you serve in those ways? Um, And as your pastor, I see you too. And I'm so thankful for the way that you serve us. Um, We notice all of the people who serve up the front and those who are behind the scenes too. And thank you for giving yourselves to us in that way as a body. See, when our thinking is transformed by God's mercy, when we don't think too highly of ourselves, we can actually look around the room and we don't see a pecking order, we actually see a well-oiled machine. All those cogs working together. All of those body parts relying on each other to make the whole body work. Um, And we don't see one part of the body as more important as anybody else. Or anybody's more dignified than any other part. So we don't sort of see one job as super important and one job as a little bit, you know, for the plebs or for the the people who aren't that important. Actually, all of these jobs are important. Nobody is less dignified than anybody else. And we need each other. And in fact, more than that, you look in verse 5, it says... We belong to each other. We actually belong to one another. And in a fiercely individualistic society where we say, look, I belong to myself. I'm responsible for me and I do my thing and you do your thing. This is so countercultural. It actually says, no, 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 you don't belong to yourself. You belong to each other. And that's what the gospel tells us. The Bible tells us in God's kingdom, you are not your own. You are bought at a price. You belong to Jesus. And now he's made us to belong to one another. And just like Jesus became a servant for us, we're to become servants for one another, to serve one another. And that's such a hard concept for our modern Western mind to conceive of. How do you serve one? Who, who would actually give themselves up for somebody else? Until you look at new mums and you see a new mum look after a child, completely dependent for a year or two, They go without food sometimes, without sleep to make sure their children are healthy. We all get that, don't we? Church should be the same. Actually, giving giving ourselves up for the service of others is how the church should be. We belong to one another here, and actually we need one another. And we're to serve one another with the gifts that God has given us. So what are the gifts that God gives? Uh, transformed ministry. Ministry means serving. Um, so with transformed thinking, we get the transformed church and now transformed ministry. We often think of ministry as the things that we want to do in church, don't we? Or maybe the things we don't want to do. Please don't put me on the roster for the... I was, I'm looking at Joe. Um, <laughs> he's the wrong guy to look. I was going to think... Do you, I don't know if you mow the lawns or not. I think it's Ian who mows the lawns. There's so many lawns here. We think of ministry as the things we want to do or the things we don't want to do. Um, 
But it's not always as simple as that. Um, when I was uh, in youth, um, one of our youth leaders, uh, he wanted to become a minister in the church. And so he went off to Bible college in Canada, but he was the son of a politician. And he'd grown up with a very kind of political mind, I guess, a head for politics. And even though he wanted to be a minister in the church, God actually decided that he should be a minister in the parliament. And he ended up serving our state as the premier. Another man I know was a missionary in Pakistan for a number of years. It was very, very difficult, and he really didn't want to be a missionary anymore. And so he came back to Australia, but it became clear to him through God's leading and through the needs in Pakistan that actually he was the right man, along with his wife, to go back and serve again. And even though it was not something he wanted to do, he decided for the sake of God's plan and to be obedient, he went back and served again, even though it was really hard for him and him as a family. So we often think of ministry as the things we want to do for the church family or the things that we don't want to do, but the passage reminds us that we don't actually choose the ministry that we should be involved in. God chooses it for us. He gives us gifts and He gives us experiences that make us into who we are and how we're wired to serve. So if you look at verse 6, it says, we each have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So God gives us the gifts to serve in particular ways. Um, sometimes it'll be the thing that we love to do, and sometimes it's, well, perhaps you might wish it wasn't your gift at all. You kind of have a gift that you wish really wasn't it. But God gives us gifts and experiences that make us into who we are. So, here we go. It takes a lot of spiritual gifts for a church to run. Do you know that? I was just watching this morning how many different people were involved, opening the doors and turning on heaters and getting the slides ready and, and practicing music and uh, there were people who worked on the computers during the week. There's so many different gifts that we need for a church to run and there's a long list in 1 Corinthians 12, we read that before, but here in Romans 12, um, Paul doesn't give this exhaustive list of gifts, quite a short list and I think he boils it down to two different kinds of gifts and this is where you get to play along with me. I think there's two kinds of gifts, there are speaking gifts and serving gifts. So let me read them and you can decide for yourself which is a speaking gift and which is a serving gift. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. And if it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Um, so there are speaking gifts and serving gifts in this passage. Um, I think the, speech, uh, the speaking gifts are prophesying, teaching, and encouraging. Uh, and then the serving gifts, I think, are serving, contributing, and showing mercy, and probably leading as well. Um, and what I love is the way that the speaking and the service gifts are actually intertwined. It's not like he puts all of the speaking gifts first because they're important and then puts all the serving ones after because they're less important. No, they're mixed together and they're intertwined. We need all of them. And that's the pattern in Acts chapter 6. I've been reading that. Um, there's a point where the apostles are swamped with all the work that they need to do and they need more helpers. They need to concentrate on the word and the ministry and so they have other helpers who can do the serving. Do you see that? Speaking and serving. And that's what happens in the church. We need all of those. So I want you to reflect, how has God gifted you? If you look at the list, which ministry gift do you think God has given you? And some of you, I'm sure, have the gift of prophecy. 
Um, what does prophecy mean? It can be quite a confusing word, can't it? Um, in Christian circles, we use it and understand it differently. When I was teaching in Rwanda, one of my students came and said, I love this um, school of theology that you have. He said, could you start a school for prophecy? And what he meant was, can you teach, a, teach us how to get a kind of a special word from God? Um, how, to, how to dial in as if God would call and give you a message like a friend would call you. Um, that was what prophecy meant to him. But for me, I think in my understanding of how the Bible works, prophecy is more like what I do every week when I preach. Um, since God has already revealed all that we need to know for life and salvation. So prophecy is actually applying the scriptures to the people in front of us. I'm bringing a word from God to you as the scriptures and as the Holy Spirit leads. Some of you have the gift of prophecy in that sense, I think. Um, you read the Bible, you teach it in groups, you share it with people one-on-one, -on -one, you might teach it in scripture. Um, if you've got that gift, it can be very tiring. Sometimes you're like, oh, I need a, I need a break from teaching the Bible but the passage here says if that's your gift then do it please keep doing it keep prophesying don't run away um, if you're leading a group and you need some help let us know and we'd love to resource you better or help you out better uh, some of you maybe should be prophesying more maybe leading or teaching the Bible because God's given you wonderful gifts in that area um, if your gift is prophesying then prophesy in accordance with your faith and if it's teaching then teach some of you are great servants in the church, um, tirelessly arriving early and staying late and washing up and cooking meals and, and sweeping and working in creche and doing yard work. If that is you, thank you. If your gift is to serve, then keep on serving, as it says here. Some of you are encouragers, people who encourage. Uh, John J. Murray, um, pastor, said, the faintest whisper of support and encouragement uttered by a Christian in the ears of his fellow believers is heard in heaven. Isn't that wonderful to think when you encourage somebody, actually God hears what you are doing and they rejoice in heaven, I think. Um, some of you are wonderful encouragers. I've, I've met some of you. I've had uh, letters and cards from some of you and I've had phone calls and invitations to come out to coffee. Um, if your gift is encouraging then keep encouraging. And thank you for being an encourager. I love that. Uh, what about contributing? Some of you have said, uh, sorry, some of you have the gift of contributing, uh, giving, as it says down there. Um, I know this is a generous church. I heard the story of how this building was built. Uh, the plans were drawn up. The decision was made to make it. And I believe it was paid quite simply and not with too much fuss. Isn't that wonderful? A generous church i thank you for your generosity in the past thank you for your generosity in the present um we're going to need your generosity more in the future as we reach out with the gospel into the southern highlands so that more people would know jesus see god calls all of us to contribute to the work of the church um for some of us though when you look at this passage actually god has gifted us specially um he's made you he's put you in a position financially where you can support more than others can and uh, I don't know who you are, but you know who you are. Uh, and if that's your gift, thank you. Um, I, I kind of, I'm not sure that generosity is one of my gifts, or giving anyway. Um, I imagine this could be one of the gifts you wish you didn't have. Uh, I have a friend uh, who God put in a position of great wealth. And he, he tells me, he says, he says, every year we decide on a number that's just a little bit more than we really think we can manage. He said, every year it hurts. He said, every year God blesses that more than he could ever imagine. 
It's always okay. So thank you for those of you who give. And if that's your gift, keep giving generously. Thank you to all the leaders in church. Um, I, I reckon a church is only as good as its leaders. Um, and I know that uh, many of you are in positions of leadership. But again, as we reach further into the highlands with the gospel, as we reach further into Robertson, as God fills the pews here, we're going to need more leaders to lead groups and to lead play groups and to lead ministries and to lead ministries of mercy or caring ministries. We're going to need lots of people. So if that's your gift to lead, lead diligently. Um, showing mercy, this is um, the very last one there. Um, Bible commentator Tom Schreiner says that this means a special gift of ministry to those who are hurting, those who are exp experiencing emotional distress. Um, so I guess we'd call it care ministries. Um, so thank you to all of you who are involved in caring for others here at Robbo. And uh, I don't really know much about how that works at the moment, but I pray that's something that we can grow in as a church, as time goes on. If you want to be involved in caring for others, come and talk to me. If there's any other gift that you think you have and you're not serving in that way, come and talk to me or come and talk to Beck or, or come and talk to one of the wardens. Uh, we would love to see many people serving with the gifts that God has given them because that's how the church works. We belong to one another and we need one another and all of us has a part to play. So I wonder what your part is. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to know each of you over the next few months. I'd love to hear how you are involved in whatever capacity God has gifted you in. Uh, but for now, why don't we pray that we'd become a church transformed by this renewed thinking, this transformed thinking, and this mentality where we can serve God in His kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we pray that you would transform us as a church, uh, transform our thinking, transform our individualism, teach us to belong to one another and to become part of the church and we ask, Father, that you would give this church the gift of reaching out into the highlands with the message of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, uh, the mercy of Jesus, so that many people would be saved. Uh, for each of us, we pray, Father, you'd reveal our gifts and help us to serve in those ways. And we pray that as we do this, Jesus would be honored above all. We pray in his name. Amen.